The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solis. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely. So repent, repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. Church family, I invite you to pray with me as we hear God's word. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these moments where we get to lose ourselves, lose all the worries, the troubles of life, and just sit at your feet and hear your voice. I pray that for each one of us, you'd wrap us so tightly in your arms of love that we would be overwhelmed by peace. I pray that this word, which is living and active, which is relevant in every age, would speak specifically to the hearts of everyone in this room. I pray most of all that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in, our, in your sight. You are the Almighty. You are above us. You are the rock that is higher than any of us. You are a rock and a redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, one of the colleges that are in our circles called Wisconsin Lutheran College celebrated the Divine Servant Award, to which they gave to Tim Tebow along the way. And this year's uh, winners were uh, Kurt Warner and his wife. There is uh, Dan Johnson, the president of Wisconsin Lutheran College, by the way, I'm going to name drop a little bit, is a good buddy of Pastor Jeff, so uh, kind of famous. And I don't know if you know Kurt Warner's story, um, he kind of had an unconventional way to the NFL that was documented in a movie called The American Underdog. Uh, after his uh, college career, he had to kind of flounder his way through the Arena Football League, which still isn't very popular, it reminds me of the XFL. Until finally, the St. Louis Rams gave him a shot. And in his first season as the starter for the St. Louis Rams, they won the Super Bowl. Now think a little bit of what it takes to not only compete at the college level, but then to, to work your way all through that adversity to finally be in the NFL and finally be on the platform winning the Super Bowl. What kind of strength do you need to be Super Bowl MVP and on that platform? And where would it come from? Now, Kurt Warner, uh, 
told us in his confession where the strength had come from. When the confetti was flying around him and he was handed his trophy, um, he had these words to say. He said, well, first things first, I got to give praise and glory to my Lord and Savior up above. Thank you, Jesus. In fact, he's commemorated for screaming, thank you, Jesus. And Kurt Warner would go on and, and tell us about success, tell us about accomplishment. This was a quote of Kurt Warner. He says success in any field, if you're a teacher, if you're a student, if you're an engineer, success in any field starts with faith, Warner writes. Faith in yourself, faith in teammates, faith in coaches, and in my case, faith in God. Now, what about you? Have you had Kurt Warner type of moments where figuratively speaking, the confetti was flying all around you, and finally you had done something incredible. Uh, some of you are thinking about job success. Some of you might be thinking about having children. I don't know what comes to mind, but whether it was valedictorian or getting a great response for a project you did, where would you say your power was drawn from? Or maybe better yet, as you come to this place today and you're wondering man, how am I going to have strength for this new season? How, how am I going to have strength for this obstacle that I'm facing? How, how am I going to proceed? This, this is tough. Where's that strength going to come from? That's why I love gathering in this place. Because when we rally around God, we know the answer to this, don't we? Our strength does not come from within. It does not come from our try-hard, our do-good efforts. It comes from God. In fact, a psalmist named David, he, he talked about this quite a bit. And for David, when, it, when he needed strength, it wasn't just for winning a Super Bowl or passing a test or doing good on a project. David was at war. The stakes were high. He could lose his life. And David in the psalm says, you know what other people do? When it comes to war, some people just count how many chariots they have. Or how strong their, tr their horses are. Or if they have more troops, then they're going to win the day. But David's confidence was different. In Psalm 20, he said this, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, and we could fill in the blanks, some trust in their work ethic, and some trust in their company, or in their higher-ups. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Do you know David fought many wars and he never died in battle? David died at a good old age because God saw him through every adversity and gave him strength to stand. That same God is here today. He is your God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament church, we saw this power propel God's people to do incredible things. In fact, I'm so excited for the summertime. Are you excited for the summertime? I hope so. You know why? Because we're going to do a deep dive into Acts. That's why you were excited for summer, right? Not because not of cabins and baseball and lakes, right? We're going to do a deep dive into Acts, and, and we're going to label it empowered, and, and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit fueled God's people to do incredible things. In fact, at one point, the Apostle Paul was able to touch a handkerchief or an apron, and other people would take the, the things that, that he touched, and it would just touch someone else and heal them. Now, that's incredible. 
That'd be awesome. I wish I had that power. Just bring your handkerchief. I'll just touch a lot of I don't have that power, friends. But they did. In fact, Peter healed someone, and Peter was brought on trial for how was this person healed? We know he was sick. We know he was crippled. How was he healed? And Peter confessed these words. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And so we know, and we proclaim, and we rely on this first fill-in. That the power source for any real success, any real success that lasts and matters, that's from our God. And so today we are concluding our series, Gospel Treasures, and we're ending strong. We're ending on a powerful note. And if you've been uh, following this series last Sunday, we just focused on how uh, church family is so important. It's one of the blessings of being a believer. And I don't know how many people I spoke with this past week who said, Pastor, you're exactly right. My church family is closer to me than some of my friends. It is closer to me than some of my immediate family because we have Christ at our head. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Well, today, we're going to focus on the fact that through God, change is possible. That, that we can never be perfect. It's not about perfection, but it is about a direction. And through God, there is possible change. In fact, my, my hope is, is that it will be inspirational to you that, that, that even if you were feeling hopeless about something right now, that God, through his power and his love, would inspire you to hope again. So today we're focusing on one person of God. And, and just to review a little bit about the God that we worship, uh, you might know we have one God and three persons. And I want to bring up a little bit of uh, work about the persons and the activities of God. When it comes to the Father, what kind of work do we attribute to the Father? Does anyone know? I don't know if we have. I think I heard it creation, right? Um, when it looks at all that we see around us, the, the God who brings the rain, the God who makes things grow, the tulips, the daffodils in spring, that's attributed to the Almighty God. He not only created all things, but he sustains all things by his power. And this world will only come to an end when he says so. That's our God, God the Father. Then there's God the Son. Does anyone know what God the Son is attributed with? What does God the Son do? We know him as Jesus, and we have his greatest work right here, right? He bore the cross for us. He was our Savior and our substitute. He is the one who has made forgiveness possible for you and I and for any sinner. Which is always why we love any visitor. I don't care what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter what flavor your sin is. You are welcome here because God has an answer for it in Jesus Christ. He is our substitute. He's the reason we're set free. But then the work of the Holy Spirit some look at the Holy Spirit, and there was a pastor named Francis Chan that said when it comes to the Spirit, he's actually the forgotten God. That was the title of a book that Francis Chan wrote. He, he wrote another book called Crazy Love, which was really good, um, but The Forgotten God. And the premise of the book proves the point that, that many people neglect him and overlook the Holy Spirit. And so he wrote in his book um, this quote, I thought it was really good about the work of the Holy Spirit. He, he said, The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. 
And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. Isn't that good? That's what I want. Is that what you want? The church that cannot help but be different so that the world cannot help but notice? Lord, let it be and in this place. And so we're going to dive into God's word, and we're in the book of 2 Timothy. And what we have here is Paul's words to a young pastor, that pastor Timothy. And what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is to keep the faith and to guard the faith. In, in fact, to, to whatever he's at in his faith life, to grow it, to kindle it into a big fire. And so as you turn there, whether in your Bibles, your worship folders are on the screen, let's, let's hear the words from 2 Timothy today. Here we go. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. These are the incredible words of God. Can you tell your neighbor next to you, you have power, you have power, you have power. All right, um, some sermons are, are more intense than others, if that makes some. Like, some are light and some are like, you know, real hard surgery. And so I got to do some heart surgery today, okay? So I'm just going to prepare you, like, hold on. And the first thing I want to ask you then as we do heart surgery is this. What is fear currently holding you back from? I ask it again. What is fear currently holding you back from? As you're thinking about that, I want to dive into some perspectives on fear. The world we live in say that fear is just inevitable. In fact, when it comes to fear, we shouldn't try to get rid of it. We should start tolerating it and just expect it. From the New York Observer were these words, Fear that long-considered unwanted invader, something to work towards resisting or removing from our lives, is now part of our everyday reality. There is reason, very good reason, to be afraid. Get used to it, because that feeling is here to stay. Now, if that's not an upper, I don't know what is. What do you think, though? The, the, the story would go on and say, you know, uh, fear is here because the world is not getting better. Politics are not getting better. Wars are not getting better. We just have to expect things that will make us afraid. 
I was reading another article that shares the implication of someone who is led by fear. And they said someone who is led by fear often only sees the downside of any situation. They're often indecisive. That as a person, they feel restricted. They don't really expand. And then when it comes to opportunities, they are very afraid of trying anything new or anything unknown. Can you relate to fear? Now, regardless of this quote, I do think because we are sinners, we're going to have to wrestle with fear at one point or another. But I'm going to dig in a little bit. I'm going to push back. I think change is possible. And I do believe that with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can progress and be a new creation. And here's my case study. His name is Peter. Now, Peter always wanted to be courageous, always wanted to live without fear. Peter is the first one who wanted to walk on water like Jesus, the first one to take out his sword to defend Jesus. And Peter, when he heard uh, the prediction of Jesus Christ um, and, and that he would deny him, said some very bold words. And some of you know what he said. When Jesus said, you're going to deny me, Peter's like, nah, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then the next day, not, not, not a month later, not, not a year later, the next day, because, and some of you know this story, a little girl who simply asks, aren't you one of him, one of them, the disciple? And he denies it. He's so caught in fight or flight that he's fighting, he's cursing and swearing, no, 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 I don't know him. And here I just want to pause. And if you're ever looking for empathy by a disciple of, of Jesus, I think you find empathy in Peter. Be because I know you and I have moments like that where, where we say, no, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to be afraid. No, I'm going to go for it, and no one's going to stop me. No, I'm going to do it differently this time. Look at me go. And the moment comes, and we crumble just like Peter. Peter says, I've been there. But he did change. Peter went from coward to courageous. And some of you know the story. So Peter, at one point, I can't confess Jesus in front of another girl. At another point, just weeks later, he was on trial before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin who had just killed Jesus, the, the rulers who had just killed Jesus, were threatening Peter with the same punishment. You better not speak anymore about Jesus, or we will imprison you and possibly kill you. And the threat was real. And in the face of that, Peter says, <laughs> Nope. Nope. I'm going to pass. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. You're not going to stop me from speaking. Whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. Not only does he boldly confess, but then he also convicts them of the wrongdoing they did. All the while knowing they could kill him. Now how in the world does this happen in such a short time that he goes from coward to courageous? And the answer, Pentecost. Pentecost. 
And I want you to see what Jesus said about Pentecost. In Acts 1, when they were talking to Jesus for the last time, and he was about to ascend into heaven, and they were wondering if the kingdom of God was now going to be revealed, and he was going to restore Jerusalem, and they were still confused, because they didn't have the spirit, by the way. Jesus says this about Pentecost. He says, but you'll receive, what's that word? Can you say it? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And power indeed. Peter was a changed person. He, he was not perfect. You'll see his errors in Acts. But he was willing to die and did die for the name of the one who was raised from the dead. Church family, who I love. The same spirit that took Peter from coward to courageous, that took Paul from chief persecutor to chief proclaimer, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. And I believe that change is possible. And this is a sermon to hear that you can hope again. All things are possible for those who believe. That even if it didn't happen, it can happen. That we will never attain perfection, but we can go in the right direction. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, he can make us new. Now, now by saying this, this is not to shame anyone and guilt anyone who has pleaded for progress that hasn't come. Because this is what I know about the Christian experience. There are times when we have pleaded with tears in our eyes, Lord, change it, take it, make me different. And the answer from heaven was no. And you still struggle. And I'm here to tell you that even when that happens, God is still good. And even when I don't understand, he is still merciful. And even though it's not in my timeline, he is still patient and on time. And I don't have the answer to why he says no to the pleading prayer of a believer who knows that all things are possible. I don't have that answer, but I am here to tell you that even if it hasn't come yet, it still can come. I am here to tell you that this Holy Spirit is powerful enough. If he can change Peter, he can change us. That even if the chains weren't broken yet in this season, in another season, it could still be. And this why, not for your glory and not for your name, but so that God, through the continual process of sanctification, which conforms us more and more to the pattern of Jesus Christ, will make a shine in the world that needs to see the glory of God more than the glory of us. And for that reason, it is possible so that you can proclaim the power of the risen Christ. And even if it doesn't come, my God is still good. What about you? And so if we're taking notes, we believe the Holy Spirit gives us power past fear. Power past fear. And, and Paul put it this way. And the New King James Version stated more closely to the Greek. And it said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's not from God. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so power past fear, but there's more power available to us. Power that we need for something else. And to talk about that, I want to talk a little about more Memorial Day. 
So, so just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Memorial Day. And whenever I think of, like, the gospel and things that happen in life, I think that our veterans who have lost their lives in service for us in our country mirror the gospel like none other. Right? That is, that is a noble sacrifice that some gave all so that we could live in this country. That, that's incredible. In fact, um, there are then honor ceremonies uh, for, for those who have lost their lives. And I was uh, finding one honor ceremony in Colorado um, at Fort Carson. And what they did is they gathered 8,000 troops and they had them do kind of a, a simulation of a battle. Uh, there was simulated warfare and smoke and water and ditches. And 8,000 troops gathered together and they did this. Why? To commemorate a battle in 2009 when eight soldiers lost their lives in Afghanistan. 8,000 individuals thought, you know, it's good for us to get together and remember just eight. Because what we all can recognize is that there is the nobility of sacrifice. The nobility of sacrifice when serving our country. And for any who have served in the armed forces, for any who are going to serve, there's nobility in that sacrifice. Well, just as we can see that in our lives and in America, so also what I want to dig in is I want to tell you there is nobility in the sacrifice we give for Jesus Christ. In fact, we see that in, in the Apostle Paul. And just a little about this letter. 2 Timothy is the last letter that, that Paul wrote. And we know the circumstances. He was under Roman imprisonment, his second time he was in prison in Rome. And he was about to face death under the tyrant Nero. So if anyone knew what it was to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, it is Paul. Paul, who had also said in other portions of scripture, I've been flogged, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been bitten by vipers. I, I, I did all of this for the sake of the gospel. And when Paul says you have power, he, he informs what our power is for. Paul says, rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So what is the power of God for? To help you suffer. Now, if you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit gives us power to sacrifice. And, um, and let's just talk about that a little bit. So last Sunday, if you were here, I used one of our core values, which is gospel-centered. And, and one of the phrases we glean from the gospel is that what we do for Jesus is a get-to-do, not a have-to-do. Has anyone heard me say that before? It's a get-to-do, not a have-to-do. All right, a few. I'll say it more often so that more of you remember. But in Jesus Christ, when, when, when the Spirit is working, a lot of what we do is a get-to-do, not a have-to-do, because we love Jesus. That's gospel-centered. But my good friend and great associate named Pastor Jeff would use his favorite word. And while that is true, that living for Jesus is a get-to-do, there is a big and, and, because of our sinful nature, many times we will not feel it. Let's be honest. That's the other side of it, isn't it? And so sometimes we feel that. Sometimes coming to church is a get-to-do, and sometimes the week was so busy, and we are so emotionally burdened that the last thing we want to do is come to God and praise Him. That's real, friends. And so sometimes we have to give the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we love being generous. 
It's like, yes, I get to see what you're doing through the funds that you gave to help people. But other times, we're doing our budget and we're balancing it and get the cold sweats. You ever get those? Don't know how it's going to work out this month. And then you hear a sermon on generosity and giving back to God and you're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And so when we are generous, it's a sacrifice of generosity. There are times when in the gospel, we know God's forgiveness so much, and he's forgiven so much for me this week, that when someone comes to me, it's a flea bite. They, they annoyed me, it's a flea bite to forgive them. But then there are other times when what they did, all you want to do is go off on them. All you want to do is revenge. All you want to do is retaliate, and you're trying hard not to pray curses on them or in precatory psalms. Right? That's what they were for. And so it's a sacrifice of forgiveness when I don't retaliate and I show kindness that was not offered me to someone I don't think is deserving. And the only way I know this activity is possible is through the power of the Holy Spirit. He propels us past our feelings, past our emotions, into the good we know to do even when we don't want to do it so that he gets the glory. But there's a final thing the Holy Spirit empowers us for, and to talk about it, I need to bring up the parable of the sower. Some of you know the parable of the sower. It's an imagery of someone throwing seed into the field, and the seed is the word of God, and the field is the hearts of people, and there are four possible outcomes. The four different soils are a good field, and this is what we all hope to be, that when we hear the word, the word takes root in our hearts and it grows and produces fruit. There's another one, thorns and thistles, which is still a believer. This is a believer who has the word, is growing, but the worries and anxieties of life uh, block it from being fruitful. But the first two options are really kind of scary, especially the rocky ground, because in the rocky ground situation, the word had taken root, but they quickly fall away. This is what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 13 about that rocky soil. Since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And some of you see this about other Christians in your life. Some of you know the friends that you grew up with and, and maybe went to Christian school with, and, and they're no longer Christian. They're no longer seeking the Lord. Some of you have family members that way. They're no longer seeking the Lord. And every now and then, we, we can get afraid. I, I don't know if you've ever had fear of falling away. Lord, I, I hope I don't lose my faith. Lord, Lord, please have mercy that I don't fall. I know as a young kid, I always felt this way when I was learning about the unforgivable sin. Has anyone ever taught you about the unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit? And so I always heard that you didn't commit it if you were actually nervous that you committed it. Because the sin of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't care. That, that, that's the evidence of that sin, is you wouldn't care what the Spirit says about anything you did to the Spirit. And so in a similar way, if you're ever concerned about losing the faith, I guess that's a good uh, litmus test that you have the faith. Because you see it's precious, you see it's good. Please don't take it away. But the opportunity to fall is real. 
In fact, you might have even heard news stories of pastors who turned to atheists. Such was the case of a guy named Ryan Bell. Ryan Bell wanted an experiment. I don't know why he chose this experiment. He said, for the next 12 months, I will live as if there was no God. I will not pray, read the Bible for inspiration, or refer to God as the cause of things. And after that period, he came out as an atheist. From pastor to atheist. And so what does this mean is possible? That the faith which was graciously given is something that we do need to guard because it can be taken away. It can be lost. And Paul says, you know, I love the Holy Spirit because I know whom I believed and I am convinced that he is able or he has power to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul is convinced if he stays by the Spirit, the Spirit will see him through any season still confessing the Lord is God. The Lord is good. He is still merciful. He is still patient. He is still kind. And you might have even seen this in Christians who just continue to commit. In every season, through adversity, through good times, they are still confessing, God is good, he is my Savior, he is my Lord. And so what does the Spirit give us power to do? To stand in faith. And how awesome is that? I think of Romans 8 where Paul said, nothing is going to be able to separate us. Life nor death nor the present or things to come angels or demons, no, nothing is going to get in the way of us knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And while the Spirit is able to do all these things and more than I can talk about in, in one sermon, there is a response that we need. There is direction that Paul gives and that's actually found in his very first verse, the overarching verse for us. So while the Spirit does all these things, Paul said, but I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now, gift of God, the Greek was charisma. You might have heard of charismatics, to believe in the Spirit. But really can also be translated the gift of faith. That is ours, that wherever we're at in our faith journey, is not to be content, but to say, God, you can have more of me, you can refine me, because I want more of you. And we know how this happens. So the Holy Spirit's the power, but but some of you remember learning about this, that he uses the means of grace. The Holy Spirit uses the means of grace, which are the Word of God and the sacraments. That whenever we're around the Word, we actually don't have to invite the Holy Spirit in because he promises to be in the Word itself. How awesome is that? When you open your Bible, when you're in men's group, women's group, home group, um, he is there. The Holy Spirit is in communion, in the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is in baptism. It's a washing of rebirth and renewal by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is ours to use the means of grace regularly and often. And now here's the rub. Ain't that hard sometimes? You ever commit to reading the Bible Ah, this is the year. And then it doesn't happen. And you have texts and you have reels. And the new series came out on Netflix. Don't forget the summer book. What about worship in the summertime? There are ten different options for our activity. 
What about communion? Do you look forward to it? Do you pray your heart right through repentance? I want to normalize something. It is easy to neglect all these things. You're not alone. I can relate to it. But I do want to give you a heads up. It is definitely part of spiritual warfare. The devil would love nothing better than to keep you from the means of grace because he knows the power of the Spirit is there. And if you can avoid those things long enough, the devil knows what can happen. And so he's fighting viciously to keep you, to give you any excuse so that you don't use those powerful means. And so today we repent for all the missed opportunities. Because when it comes to our lives, what do we really want to enhance or fan into a flame? You know, we're talking about that at our staff retreat. We gathered for a couple days, and I just want you to know the staff here at Amazing Love prays for you, loves you. They have their heart in seeking God through everything. Um, I love our staff. And and we had a lot of fun. Um, We fanned something into a flame, a a bunch of charcoal briquettes. I was trying to teach Phil Supple how to do charcoal, and so I was uh, very um, loose with the lighter fluid, and I had a conflagration, friends, so that was was good. We played Farkle. It was awesome. Yeah, if you don't know Farkle, you should look it up. It's a great dice game. But in it, we also ask this question, what do we want to fan into a flame? What do we want to enhance, pour some gas on? Because it's really, really good. We talked about that. But I want to propose the same question to you. Everything that's going on in your life, what do you want to fan into a flame? Is it really your garden? No, I'm not against gardens, by the way. But at the end of the summer, what do you have to show for a really good garden? A lot of work. I would permit to you that the best thing you can enhance, the the best thing you can pour gasoline on is your connection to God. Because I know what you're going to find. Power. You're going to find power to do things that you never thought you would do. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to see people who I would call on fire for Jesus. That's always one of my favorite moments is when the Spirit grabs someone. It's not what I do. It's what God does. When the Spirit grabs someone and they are on fire for Jesus, and it's an amazing thing. In fact, John Wesley had some words about uh, being on fire for Jesus. This quote actually kind of runs in my preaching. Um, He said, Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Wouldn't that be a great goal for all of us? And we know where it's from. It's not for us. It's so that they would see Jesus Christ. And more than that, when you enhance, pour fuel on the flame of faith, what will you find and what will you appreciate and what will you just bask in? The grace of Jesus. Who reminds you you are loved even more than you know who has forgiveness for any times of neglect and any times you've run away, who will still guide you and be merciful, who with goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, even when you don't always want to follow him. He reminds you what we find in Jesus. We find a grace that is given us 
that has destroyed death and has brought life through his gospel. That is yours and that is mine. He has brought us the life that is truly life. He has destroyed death. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish great things. What platform will you stand on for the sake of God? I'm excited to find out. May God so bless you. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding may it guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, at this time, uh, we have the opportunity to encourage our, our family members, and we do that through a confession of faith. Uh, today, we'll use the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.